Hallelujah. Go with me, if you will, to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter number 5. The book of 2 Corinthians, chapter number 5, verse number 15 through 20. I might uh, remind you that uh, this Friday night at JNCC in Walnut, at uh, Brother Porterfield's church, is our district missions rally. That's at 7 o'clock. I hope that you can go. Um, brother, they've got a, a guest preacher supposed to preach. He'll probably need all the help he can get. His name is Steve Wilson. Amen. And so be in prayer. Be in prayer about that service, and I hope you can go. Be in prayer for my wife and I, uh, one of our dearest friends, a young lady. She, she was uh, in our youth group growing up. She was in our wedding. Uh, her husband and I got called to preach about the same time. He pastored a church in Indiana, and she passed away last night um, of cancer. And so we're going to be at that funeral, and then uh, I'll be heading back for the weekend. But uh, be in prayer, if you will, for, uh, for that church and uh, Brother Wampler and his children and family. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. In verse number 17, if you found it, say, praise the Lord. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. And behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead. Be ye reconciled to God. Do you notice the prominent use of the word us? He has given to us the ministry. He has committed unto us the word. I want to preach to you for a while about the mission of Bethlehem Church. The mission of Bethlehem Church. God, I pray that you would anoint me, God, to open your word, anoint our ears to hear. I pray, God, that you would have your way in this place and move by your spirit. Let the seed of your word find good ground and let it bring forth fruit in our lives, Lord. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen. As you're being seated tonight, God bless you. I will not do a complete exegesis of this particular passage, but I do want to touch on a few points that will serve as a springboard for us as we move deeper into this lesson. In 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, the Bible said, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. When we 
are in Christ, which the Bible tells us that we are baptized into Christ. We don't join Christ. We don't take the right hand of fellowship to get into Christ. We don't sign a church role to get into Christ, but we are baptized into Christ. You can cross-reference Romans 6 and 3 and Galatians 3, 27. But when we get in Christ through baptism, the Bible said old things are passed away. Old habits, old mindsets, old actions, old doctrines, they are passed away. The word passed away, they, the, the, actual, the actual Greek uh, uh, rendering of, this, of the, this phrase, passed away, it actually means that they stayed where they were and we passed them by. That is an awesome thought. That when we are baptized into Christ, that our old life, our old ways stay where they were and we just leave them behind. Isn't that an awesome thought? Amen. We pass them by, leaving them behind. And then the Bible said all things are become new. New mindsets, new purpose, new everything. We are new creatures in Christ. And the next verse says, And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself. God has brought us to himself by Jesus Christ. That word, that, that, that means then that God has taken those of us who were, the Bible said, sometime afar off. There were differences. When you have people that can't get along and you get a mediator, then you have the goal of that mediator is to reconcile these people, to bring them back together. And the Bible said that it, we were reconciled to God by Jesus Christ, and he has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Amen. Almost for a second, sound like I was preaching holiness. Somebody turned me off. Amen. I was laughing because, you know, I, I, it's not my favorite thing to go out to eat on Sunday nights. Not that I don't like the company. I just don't like how long it takes and, um, and how late it is and that we leave past my bedtime. So, um, but uh, we, we went a, a couple of weeks ago. I preached holiness pretty hard one Sunday night. And by the time we finally got out of here and got there, all the seats were taken. So me and Sarah sat by, my, by ourselves. And I said, now look. I said, if I'd have preached miracles, we'd have a table full of folks. <laughs> Verse 18 says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That word ministry there means to attend as a servant. And reconciliation means atonement or to bring together. God has given us the responsibility to serve him by reconciling people to himself. When he took away our old life, our old sins, our old everything, he gave us the job to serve as reconcil reconcilers of bringing people to him. Our job is to serve him by bringing sinners back into fellowship with him. Amen. Verse 19, to wit that God was in Christ, 
reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. He points out it was the job of Jesus Christ to bring salvation to the world. And then he gave us the job. He committed to us the word of reconciliation. To preach the gospel message to lost people is the commission of God to the church. Verse number 20, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. Our job is to be his representative in this world. We are his ambassadors. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you be reconciled to God. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. We are his representative to the world. We are to tell people what Jesus would tell them if he were sitting at the table with them. Back a few months ago, we had a pastor in Texas that passed away from COVID. And, uh, and, and in that particular situation, our Western Regional Superintendent wasn't able to go and Brother Carpenter couldn't go. And so uh, I, it was my job to go. And so I went and, uh, and I, when I went, I read a statement from Brother Carpenter to that church and to that family. It was not my word, it was his word, but I was his ambassador. It was my job to tell them what he told me. And when we are ambassadors for Christ, it's our job to tell the world what Jesus would tell them if he was sitting with them or standing with them at that moment. And so we are ambassadors for Christ. I'm talking tonight about the mission of the church. Theology is the study of, of the nature of God of, and of religious belief. Theos is the Greek word for God. And so theology is the study of God. It is, it is head knowledge. It's, you know, you have people that can understand all the arguments and they can understand all the points of faith. But just because it's in their head doesn't mean it's in their heart. They can know what they're supposed to do, but it not be in their heart to do it. And so theology is head knowledge. Mission Mission is an assignment. Mission is, by definition, a strongly felt aim, ambition, or calling. Where theology is head knowledge, mission requires action. You are not on mission if you're not doing something. The word mission actually comes from the old Latin word missio, and it means to send. It, is, it actually means, denotes the sending of the Holy Spirit into the world. So mission is being sent by God, being sent by the Spirit into the world. And so we can have all of the head knowledge that we want to have. We can quote scripture. We can talk about doctrine. We can talk about, about, about uh, the history of doctrine. We can go through all the points of doctrine. But if we have it in our head, but we don't have it in our action, then we're not on mission. Amen. Amen. The Willingen Declaration said there is no participation in Christ without participation in his mission. There is no participation in Christ without participation in his mission. David Bosch said mission has its origin in the heart of God, that God is constantly sending love. This is, according to Bosch, the deepest source of mission. He said it's impossible to go further than that 
He said, there is mission because God loves people. There is mission because God loves people. He continued, that mission belongs to the purpose, life, and basic structure of the church. Mission, therefore, I'm still quoting Bosch, is not an additional activity of the church, but it's the very nature of the church. What he is saying is there's no church without mission. There's no church without mission. If we claim to be a church, but we're not about mission, then we're not really a church at all. Amen. Mark T. Lang said, quote, mission is integral to the life of the local church. It's erroneous for any church to delegate mission. The church must be seen as being on mission by God. The mission, God's mission, is the purpose of the church. Without that mission, there's no purpose for the church. I'm going to let that sit there for a second, going to let it marinate, and then I'm going to say it again. That God's mission is the purpose of the church. And without that mission, there's no purpose for the church. The mission of the church is God's mission. It's our purpose. It's what we're here for. There's no other reason for the church than the mission of God. Amen. If it's just a social get-together, then let's join the Lions Club or the Kiwanis Club. If it's just to see family, then let's just have a family reunion every weekend. But if we're going to call ourselves a church, we must be about the mission of God. Amen. Without mission, there is no purpose for the church. The mission of God is found in what's called the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. What is that name? It's Jesus' name. That right. That's right. The word teach, as used by the King James Version in the original language, actually means to disciple or to instruct. So Matthew 28, 19 actually says in the original language, go and make disciples of all nations, not just converts, not just see how many people we can get in the water, not just see how many people we can get to like the church, but go make disciples, make followers of Jesus Christ. Here's one of my favorite quotes. I have quoted it repeatedly over the last several years. It's by one of my favorite authors. His name is Christopher J. Wright. Christopher Wright said, it's not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world is that, as that God has a church for his mission in the world. Let me, let me say that again so we can make sure we get it. It's not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world as that God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for the mission. Amen. Let's put that in a, in a logical perspective. God didn't have a book of Acts revival and get all these people, 120 in the upper room, filled with the Holy Ghost, and then by the time the sun sets, there's about 3,000. A few chapters later, there's about 5,000 more added. The Bible says that the Lord added to the church daily, and then it says the number of the disciples was multiplied. Then it said that Jerusalem was filled with their doctrine. 
He didn't get all of that and say, man, I got to find something to keep these people busy or they're going to drive me crazy. So I'm going to come up with a mission for them to do. That's not the way it was. God said, I've got a mission. I've got a job. I've got to reach this world. I've got to get people saved from hell. And so I've got to come up with a mechanism. I've got to come up with a, with a body. I've got to come up with a group of people that can fulfill my mission. And so he created the church because he had a mission. He didn't create a mission because he had a church. The church predates the mission. And if the church is not on mission, there's no purpose for the church. Amen. Now, look, it's not going to get better from there. It's going to get a little rougher before it gets better, okay? So Mark T. Lang, he says, quote, No longer can the church arrogantly assert that it has a mission. Rather, the church exists because God has a mission. The church is privileged because the church is privileged to serve the purpose of God. The church exists because mission exists and not vice versa. You understand where I'm, where I'm going with this, right? That God had a mission, so he created a church. He didn't create a church. He didn't create a mission because he had a church. The mission predates the church. The mission was here before the church was here. The mission was here before there was a book of Acts. The mission was here before there was a cross. The mission was here before there was a tomb or an empty tomb. There was a cross because there was a mission. There was a manger because there was a mission. Amen. There was a resurrection because there was a mission. There was an upper room because there was a mission. God had a mission, so he created the church for his mission. Praise God. Amen. And so Lang continues, for our respective missions to have validity, they must be rooted in God's mission. There is only one mission, God's. Not ours, not mine, not yours, not the church down the street. There's one mission, and that's God's mission. And he said that we must be aligned with the mission of God because we can't take life from a source and then live isolated from the mission of the source. Can I, can I quote a couple more guys to you before I, before I get into, the, into some, of the, some scripture back up? John G. Flett said, he said, the church can only be the church as it is the community of the gospel. It follows that every Christian is a missionary. Take, take your finger, point to yourself, and say, every Christian is a missionary. The church can only be the church as it is the community of the gospel. It follows that every Christian is a missionary. And without this orientation, our churches cannot be missionary churches. And in fact, they cannot be Christian communities at all. He's not playing games. He's saying you're either on mission or you're not a church. Flett says that without the conviction that every Christian is a missionary, churches are not missionary communities at all. And so he declares that if we are not missional, we are not Christian. Praise God. 
Hallelujah. I'm going to be eating by myself again tonight, I can tell. The word Christian means Christ-like. You can't be Christian if you're not Christ-like. Well, why did Jesus come? To seek and to save that which was lost. That's his mission. We can't be Christ-like if we don't share his mission. We can lie to ourselves like the dudes that are out drinking and getting drunk on the bar room Saturday night and in their denominational choir on Sunday morning. We can lie to ourselves like the folks that, that, that show up for church on Sunday and sleep around the rest of the week. Or we can be honest and say, I'm either a missionary or I'm not a Christian. Because you can't be Christ-like unless you're about his purpose. I told you it's going to get worse before it gets better. Hopefully it will get better. So Fleck continues, if God is a missionary God, then mission can't cease unless God ceases. So when are we done with our mission? Whenever God's dead. Or when we're dead. But we don't just decide, I'm tired of winning souls. I'm tired of serving God. I'm tired of being involved in the church. I'm tired of working in the kingdom. He said, God... God's mission doesn't cease unless God ceases. So the logic presented by Flett, here it is. God is a missionary God. God's mission only ceases if God ceases. God can't cease, so his mission can't cease. Secondly, God is a missionary God. His church must be a missionary church. So every Christian must be a missionary. If Christians are not missionaries, then their churches can't be missionary churches and non-mission churches are not God's churches. And a Christian who is not a missionary is not a true Christian. You may be seated. Lord, next time, give me a good old miracle sermon. George Hunsberger said, it is essential that we acquire a new sense of what it is to evangelize. And when I say missionary, I'm not talking about packing up and moving to Timbuktu or some other place. I'm talking about missionary where you go to work, where you go to school, where you shop, where you buy stuff with your neighbors. That's what I mean by missionary. Hunsberger said, it's essential that we acquire a new sense of what it is to evangelize. We in the church need a new sense of missional identity that is more than the achievement of a mandated task, we need to develop a missional lifestyle that does not aim at conquest and cultural dominance. That's a great quote. That's a great quote. Let's unpack it for a minute. Because for decades, the North American church had a powerful social role. But the church no longer has favored status in America. We are not the voice of morality for our culture anymore. We live in the age where if you have some sort of weird perversion, then you are hailed as a hero. And if you preach against it, you are a villain. The Bible said in the last days they would call evil good and good evil. And that's the day we live in. And so what Hunsberger says is the North American church for years evangelized to maintain a voice in politics to maintain sway in culture, 
He said, what we need to do is get back to the basics of winning souls because souls need one, reaching people because people need saved, not to have status in the community, not to have political pull, not to be able to get stuff done in politics, but because God has a mission and it's our job to make that mission happen. Amen. We are now ambassadors for Christ. Amen. One more, one more quote, Daryl Guter. He said, quote, the scriptural testimony constitutes the warrant for the evangelistic task of the apostolic community. The Bible is the reason why we reach for people. Let's look at Acts 1 and 8. Acts 1 and 8. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. What do you get when the Holy Ghost comes on you? What do you get when the Holy Ghost comes on you? You receive power, the Greek word dunamis, same word as dynamite, explosive power. You get explosive power when the Holy Ghost comes on you. Why does God give you explosive power? What's the purpose of the power? Is it so we can make cool stuff happen? No. You get power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. The only reason that God sends his power into a church is so that church can be a witness to its community. Amen. Not everybody gets, we, we a lot of times, and God, I'm going to get myself in trouble right now. But a lot of times we, we like we like signs and wonders because they're cool and they're exciting and, and, and let's just face it, it's all about us. And so if a prophet's coming and we need a healing, we want to show up because we want our healing. But I'm going to tell you what the Bible says we get power for. We get power to be witnesses. Amen. If God never works another miracle in the walls of this church for us, we still ought to witness to the world and tell people about Jesus Christ. The power of the Holy Ghost comes on us to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the othermost part of the earth. The Greek word here for, the, the, for witness literally means to be a martyr. It means literally to give your life for a cause. It adds the implication of a witness in a legal sense, that, that if you were called to court to explain what you witnessed, what you saw, what you experienced, that it is that speaking, and so a witness, when it talks about being a witness, it is talking about the legal responsibility to tell what you've witnessed and what you've seen and what you've experienced, even to the point of death. Amen. So then, when is my mandate to witness done? If in the sense of a martyr, my mandate to witness is done when I die. But as long as I'm alive, I have a responsibility to be about the mission of God, and that is to seek and to save lost people. There's no retirement age to the mission. There's no retirement age to witness. Now, now, uh, sometimes I get myself in trouble because I realize that primarily this class is um, the more seasoned group of the church. Can we say it that way? And, uh, you know, it's, it, we have kids' classes and juniors' classes and youth class, and we have new converts class and generally this is 
This is, let's just call it the experienced group, okay? Is that all right? I'm, I'm trying not to say the O word. The three-letter word that feels like a four-letter word. And so generally, when we come to the stage that we've been in church as long as, as we have been, we think it's time for somebody else to do it. It's time for someone else to do it. It's time for someone else to fill those shoes. I will tell you that there is no retirement age to the mission of God. As long as God's alive and I'm alive, I have a mission to do. And so Acts 1 and 8 was never intended to be a mandate. They did not leave and go witness to people because God said, I have to, because he said that, that, that when I get, that, that when the Holy Ghost comes on, I have to go be a witness. That's not what that verse was there for. That verse is there to explain why they were on mission. They were on mission because they were full of the Holy Ghost. Amen. If you love me, say, God, help him right now. If you don't love me, you're in big trouble. But I will tell you that Acts 1 and 8 tells us clearly that people who have the Holy Ghost witness to other people. Amen. People who have the Holy Ghost witness to other people because the Holy Ghost makes you witness. So then, people who don't witness need a fresh baptism of the Holy Ghost. Don't tell me you're full of the Holy Ghost and you don't care enough about somebody to tell them about Jesus. Don't tell me that you're ruled and controlled and filled with the Spirit of God and you don't care if your neighbor goes to hell or your co-worker goes to hell or your family member goes to hell. Don't tell me you're under the influence of the Spirit of God and you're not on the mission of God because I'll have to tell you what you're telling me and what the Bible says aren't in line with each other. Praise God. Hallelujah. I ought to not pick on the ones that come midweek like this. But I'm telling you, it's the mission of the church, and it's what God's called us to do. People with the Holy Ghost witness to the world. It is natural and reasonable that when the Spirit of God gets inside somebody, that it's so good that we want everybody to have what we've got. Amen. Anybody in business will tell you that the best possible advertising you can get is word of mouth. You make a satisfied customer, and that satisfied customer will bring more people to your business. And am I telling the truth? If you satisfy a customer, they'll tell the people in their life because they want the people they care about to have the same experience, and so they send them to you to get that experience again. Amen. The best, the best way to spread the gospel is not, is not getting a helicopter to drop flyers out of the sky on a neighborhood. The best way is for somebody that has experienced the heavenly gift of the Holy Ghost and know it's joy unspeakable and full of glory to tell somebody else, you ought to have the experience I had. You ought to go where I went. You ought to get what I've got. 
my, my, if you really want me to tell you what I think, I think that if you don't have enough Holy Ghost that you want to tell somebody about it, you ought to run to the altar and you ought to throw your hands up and say, God, I'm backslid. I need you. Praise God. Amen. We say that we have a mandate to spread the gospel because we have the great commission. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. But do you know that nowhere in the epistles or the book of Acts did they quote that as their reason for going? It's not in Acts 2, 3, 4, 5, all the way through 28. It's not in First and Second Corinthians. It's not in any of the epistles all the way through to Revelation. Never did they say Jesus told us we had to witness. I'm not saying the Great Commission isn't a great verse. I've already read it once tonight. I'm going to read it again in a little while. But the point is they didn't have it yet. It wasn't written until the 80s or 90s, 50 years after Pentecost. So why did the church witness for the first 50 years before Matthew sat down and wrote what he remembered Jesus saying way back when? The reason they did it for those 50 years is because they had the Holy Ghost. Amen. Praise God. And we shouldn't have to, we shouldn't have to say, you got to tell somebody, you got to tell somebody. When you get the Holy Ghost, you got to get enough Holy Ghost to want to tell somebody about it. And until we have that much Holy Ghost, we don't have enough Holy Ghost. Somebody help me. Y'all remember, we, we, had this, we had this big old lady come to church one time. She was about six foot two, and she was a whopper. And one time I laid hands on her to pray for her, and when I did, she went like this with her hand, and when she did, my hand got stuck in there. And she wasn't letting me go, and she was huckabucking all over and dragging me all over, and I looked at some of you sweet ladies, and you didn't do one thing to help me. Hello. Hey, praise God. I'm just going to tell you, I get the next three minutes back. That don't count against me, okay? They did not witness because they read the Great Commission. They didn't have a New Testament yet. It wasn't, it wasn't all written and added to, to the uh, canon yet. So here's what Wright says. He says, if simple obedience to the Great Commission were the major reason in the consciousness of the early Christians, it's surprising that it's never mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament. He does not say that the Great Commission is not important. What he's saying 
is the church witnessed because they had the Holy Ghost, because the Spirit of God led them to do it. Hunsberger said before any of these texts had been written, the earliest church was already accustomed to sharing the gospel with people. Henry Bohr said there's no evidence that consciousness of the Great Commission constituted an element of their motivation. There's no ground to believe that awareness of the Great Commission played a role in launching the church into her missionary labors. They simply went and reached souls because they had the Holy Ghost and they had the love of God. And my, my conviction is that the mission of this church is to reach as many people as we can because we love people and because we've got the Holy Ghost. Amen. It was not because they had been commanded to. It was because the Spirit filled them. It wasn't because they were told they had to. It's because they had the Holy Ghost. It wasn't because there was a list of rules of stuff they had to do. It's simply because they had the Holy Ghost and they wanted people to have what they had. Amen. Praise God. I'm, I'm doing sermon surgery right now. I'm trying to get those three minutes back or however long it was. When they started reaching people, they started reaching, the church became missional as soon as they got the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost drove them to people and places that when they were simply Jews, they never would have gone to. When they were just Jews, they never would have gone to Samaria. When they were just Jews, praise God. This, this one makes my voice sound deeper. When they were just Jews, they never would have gone to Samaria. They never would have gone to Corinth or Athens to reach the Gentiles, those pagan idol worshipers. Never would they have, would they have spread down into northern Africa and, and east into, into, uh, into Asia. Never would they have done that because as Jews, they, they, they thought it was all about them. But now they've got the Holy Ghost. And now the Holy Ghost is driving them to people and places that they never would have considered candidates for the grace of God and the love of God. The success of their efforts led by the Holy Ghost brought discord into the church. The Holy Ghost was constantly pushing them to evangelize beyond their understanding and challenge them to reach for everybody. The first encounter for the church was the cosmopolitan Jews that had come to Pentecost in Jerusalem. Then they found themselves in Samaria with the hated Samaritans. And then they found an Ethiopian traveler. And then they found a God-fearing Roman soldier. And then it was a Gentile community in Antioch. And all of these different kinds of people brought increasing pressure on the church. But they knew that if God had sent them to these people, then God loved those people. Jesus was Jewish, very Jewish. But the mission that he sent his church into blew the conventional wisdom of the Jews away. How can the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob send us to Samaritans and Antioch? and Roman soldier. How can the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob send us after the Corinthians and the, the, uh, the Athenians and the Galatians and the Thessalonians? 
How could he call us to go down to Alexandria and into Egypt and then, and then spread? As one, it, there's a lot of evidence that one of the disciples went as far as northwestern India. How can the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob send us to them? And so they had conflict within the church because there were some people that said, God's sending us to those people. And there's others that say, I don't want those kind of people in my church. And so the church came to a point where they had to decide. We are either going to keep pressing and reaching for people and grow, or we're going to plateau or we're going to regress. The early church had no New Testament. They didn't have the Gospels written yet. It was 50 years later when they started, 30 years later when some of the books, Mark and, 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 and Luke began to, to and, and Matthew, and they began to, to get the writings written down. But there was a reason why they had to write this stuff. The reason they had to write it was because the church was faced with conflict. God sending us to these people and we don't have a doctrinal context to know what to do with them. Do we make them get circumcised? Do we make them follow the Sabbath? Do they have to eat kosher? What are we going to do with these people? God's sending us to people from all over the world. But we don't know what to do when they get here. And so God inspires the disciples and the early Christian writers and Paul to begin to write down what the church does and how the church operates. The New Testament was a result of the mission of God. And I will tell you that every church comes to a point where it decides if it really wants to grow or if it wants to stay where it is. And you learn it when you start baptizing people that don't look like you. They haven't lived the kind of life you've lived. People with track marks on their arm, tattoos all over the place. And people who's come out of all kinds of dysfunction and trouble and problems and they, they haven't been raised like you've been raised and they haven't seen what you've seen. And then you're faced with, the, with what do we do with these people? God's sending us to them, but we don't know that we really want them in our church. Am I still in the book? And so every Christian has to come to the point where they either say, God, I'm about your mission, or I reject your mission. Acts 13, 45 through 48, but when the Jews, everybody say the Jews. When the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. You see what's happening? The multitudes are starting to come into the church. People from all over are starting to come into church. Athenians, Corinthians, Thessalonians, Galatians, all these people, the, the Ethiopian eunuch and the Roman soldier, uh, Cornelius and, and the Samaritans, and they're all starting to come into the church. And now they're starting to see the Jews that are already in the church. They're like, I don't want all these people here. We had a nice, comfortable little thing going. And now we have all these people and and they begin to speak against Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. And then, and then, verse 46, then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. 
He said, God promised he'd come to the Jews first, and that's why you're here. It was necessary. That's why you got to get in on the ground level. But seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. He said, if you don't want revival, we'll go to somebody who does. Verse 47, for so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation under the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. When they heard the apostles say, I have set thee to be a light to the Gentiles, that thou should be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. That was, you know, that wasn't Paul's own words. Did you know that? It wasn't Paul's own words. Paul quoted the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 49 and 6, and he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. So when Paul was telling the Christians, why are we reaching the lost? He went back to Isaiah. Acts 15, 16, and 17. After this, I will return and I will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof. And I will set it up that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. In Acts 15, again, Paul is teaching and he's telling them that God said, I'm going to rebuild the tabernacle of David. Why am I going to do it? That the residue of men, that everybody, that all the people and all the Gentiles, you see that verse 17, and all the Gentiles, this was a quote of Amos 9:11. In that day I will raise the tabernacle of David that's fallen and close up the breaches thereof, and I will raise up its ruins, and I will build it as in the days of old. The church saw its mission as a doctrine that was woven in the pages of the Scripture from all the way back in the beginning. Praise God. Do you have five more minutes for me? It's 8.14. Back in the old days, you wouldn't get out till nine o'clock on the nose. I remember my pastor, he'd preach till nine o'clock on the nose and at nine o'clock, if he wasn't done, he'd stop. And if he was done, he'd just keep going till nine o'clock. Luke 24, 44 and 45, and he said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then open he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. My question to you is what Scriptures did he open their understanding to? The New Testament wasn't written yet. So who did, what Scriptures did he open their understanding? He opened their understanding of the only Scriptures they had, what we call the Old Testament, the law and the prophets and the Psalms. He opened their understanding that they might understand the Scripture. What did he want them to understand from the Scripture? The next verse, verse 46. And said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. He opened their understanding of the Old Testament so they would know that it was their job to preach repentance and remission of sins in his name 
among all the nations. I'm telling you that when God really opens someone's understanding, they realize it's their job to tell everybody they can about the message of Jesus Christ. All nations. All nations. Acts 2 and 5, and there were dwelling at Jerusalem devout men out of every nation under heaven. The book of Acts is a book about reaching all nations. Acts 10, 34 and 35, then Peter opened his mouth and said of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted of him. Galatians 3, 7 and 9, you can tell I've gone in another gear now. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith the same are the children of Abraham. Now notice what he's done. He's taken they that are of faith, the New Testament church, and he's connecting them to Abraham all the way back in the beginning, the father of faith. What he's saying is that the, the message that God gave Abraham, that it's fulfilled in the New Testament. Let me continue. Verse 8, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, in thee shall all nations be blessed. I would contend to you that the promise of God in Genesis chapter number 12 was misinterpreted by most generations of the Old Testament Jews because it was always about all nations. Verse 9, so then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Let me advance the point to verse number 13, Galatians 3. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is every man that hangeth on a tree. Christ redeemed us at the cross. He did it. Let's go to the next verse, verse 14. Verse 13, let's, let's, let's go to verse 13. Let's stay there. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. What's verse 13 talking about? What's it talking about? Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. It's talking about the cross, right? You, you with me? You see that? He's talking about the cross. Verse 13 of Galatians 3 is about the cross. Christ redeemed us with the cross. The very next verse, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. Why did he die on the cross? So the promise he gave to Abraham in Genesis 12 can come to the church in the New Testament. That the people that, are, that repent of their sins, get baptized in Jesus' name and fill with the Holy Ghost, can have the blessing of Abraham on their life. Praise God. Hallelujah. How do we know we've got the blessing of Abraham? Notice this last phrase, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. When you are filled with the Holy Ghost, you are getting in your life what God promised Abraham in Genesis 12, that we might that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit. That means that yeah, when, when I was at the wailing, the, they call it the, the wailing wall, but, but, the, but the, uh, the non-Jewish population of Jerusalem wants you to call it the Western Wall. So when I was at the wailing Western Wall, um, you have these Jews and they're rocking back and forth and they're praying and they have, they have their hats on and, they, and some of them have the, stuff wrapped around with scriptures and they're, and they're rocking back and forth and they're praying and they're praying, God, let the blessing of Abraham come. Let the blessing of Abraham come. God, let the blessing of Abraham come. And what they don't know is what they're actually praying for is for the Holy Ghost to be poured out 
on the Gentiles. Amen. Galatians 6.14, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Paul said, I don't, I don't deserve glory for telling people about Jesus. I, that's not something, I, I don't deserve a medal for that. That's what I'm supposed to do. I don't deserve some kind of special, some kind of special award because I tell people about Jesus. That's not, God forbid that I should glory. Saving the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. That's a powerful two phrases. The world is crucified to me, and I'm crucified to the world. Metaphorically, he's saying, I'm like the tree. And the world is nailed to me. The world's crucified to me. It's nailed onto me. I can't get away from it. I can't walk away from it. I can't just pretend like it's not there. It's, it's, the world has been nailed to me. It's crucified to me. I can't get my mind off of lost people. I can't get lost people out of my mind. I can't not think about my lost loved ones and my lost co-workers and my lost neighbors. I can't not think about the people that come into the places where I preach that don't have the Holy Ghost. They're crucified to me. It's like they're nailed to me. I can't, get, I can't just walk away from it. Have I out-preached your ability to, to catch that point? He said, not only that, but I'm crucified to the world. We're, we're nailed together. I can't give up my mission to reach the lost. We've been nailed to each other. Crucifixion is the ancient, the agent of death. It's how people die. So Paul says, I can't quit until I die. Last two verses, Matthew 28, 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Remember when I started early on, if you can remember that far ago, I said mission involves doing. Mission is action. You're not on mission if you're not doing something. The verbs of the Great Commission are vital. Go, teach, baptize. Go to all nations. Go means to move from one place to another, to traverse, to travel. You gotta go. Go out of your church, go out of, go out of your house, go out of wherever, you, go to lost people, reach lost people, go, you gotta go. You can't be on mission and sit still, you gotta go. Teach means make disciples. And baptize is to convert them. We have to go and be about our Father's business. Go ye therefore, everybody say therefore. Remember what they say about therefore? When you see therefore, you got to see what it's there for. What is therefore there for? Go ye therefore. To find out what it's there for, you have to go to verse number 18, the previous verse. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. All power, all authority, jurisdiction, is given to me in heaven and in earth. And because I have all power, now you go.
and tell everybody. God's power was never given to the church for enjoyment, pleasure, self-indulgence, or entertainment. It was never about getting goosebumps, butterflies, and going home and said, man, we had a great service. The power of God was always given for us to go there for, to reach lost people. The mission of the church is to reach lost people. You say, well, Pastor, you have exhausted, you have exhausted that subject. I'm on page 31 out of 54. The only thing I've exhausted is you. Lord, I thank you, God, for the privilege of being in your kingdom. To wit that you reconciled the world to yourself. Oh God, that you were born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, was arrested, beaten, crucified, buried, and rose again, and then poured your spirit out in Pentecost for the purpose of reconciling us to you. And then, God, you have given to us the ministry of reconciliation and the word of reconciliation and has made us ambassadors for you. There is no church without mission, and every Christian is a missionary. Help us, God, to have a missional mindset to our life, that I'm not here for whatever my profession is. I'm not here for whatever my hobbies are. I'm not here for whatever my enjoyment is, but I am here to be on mission for you, to seek and to save that which was lost. Help us to be about our Father's business. Lord, I pray, God, let this seed find good ground tonight. Let it bring forth fruit in our lives. Help us, God, to become conviction, convictional about being missional. Help us, God, to understand every day I live is a day to be on mission. Help me to look for opportunities to spread your love and your gospel and to reach for people. Help me to have enough Holy Ghost to be a witness to my world. Lord, in Jesus' name, and everybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed in Jesus' name.